welcome to the NBAV Podcast. Welcome back to NBAV and the NBA Avenue Podcast. We will lead with the biggest story of the night, which is how LeBron James led the Los Angeles Lakers in the fourth quarter to an enormous comeback over the other team in L.A., the Clippers. I know this is technically a road game for the Lakers, and the Lakers are usually a lot better on their home court. They win two-thirds of their games at home, and they lose two-thirds of their games on the road. So in a game here for the Battle of L.A., any game that's in Los Angeles is going to be a home game for LeBron James, and the Lakers were certainly able to thrive off that in the fourth quarter, but all the credit is due to LeBron in that fourth quarter. The fourth quarter is the time to shine, especially when you're down as many points as the Lakers were heading into the fourth quarter, of course. But for LeBron to put on that kind of performance, going down the stretch, pulling the Lakers back into that game and walking out of there with a much-needed victory, that was a special night. And all credit to the man. There are a few other players on the team who played well as well. I did like some of what was happening on the defensive end from Austin Reeves and in spots from Rui Hachimura. In general, Rui is a kind of player who shows flashes. He really does show flashes of greatness like he did in the playoffs last season where he got hot from three, but he also throws down a surprising dunk from time to time has a surprisingly good defensive play from time to time, can be smart with his decision-making from time to time. So there's some talent here. And then the other key piece for the Lakers is that fingertip three-pointer from D'Angelo Russell where he catches the ball with his hands outstretched like he's already shooting, and then he just flicks it with his fingers. He had a couple of threes like that one in front of the bench, and he then went and pointed at some fans who were clearly saying something, not sure if it was something positive to him or negative. I don't know if they were cheering him on or they were trying to go against him, and Russell said, hey, I gotcha, right in front of you. But that is a really spectacular shot that he's able to hit. Spencer Dinwiddie, hot and cold, sometimes makes good plays, sometimes doesn't, but he clearly shows that he has some basketball left in the tank. And the Lakers overall, they have talent on this roster. This is not a 10 or a 9 seed team based on talent. This is just a 10 or a 9 seed team based on record. And I understand that LeBron doesn't bring this sort of play every single night. It's very hard. When it was the beginning of uh, LeBron starting to turn it on, he did it with a play where he gets inside and banks one in pretty calmly. He hits his first three from the left wing. He would later add two more threes from the left left wing and also a three from the right wing, a three from center court, uh, from uh, the the top of the key, three-point line. So LeBron really spread the wealth, hitting threes from everywhere but the corners, and specifically really liking that left wing shot like he always does. Also getting inside, even when he missed, he was able to come up with the rebound and get the putback. And the Warriors got some, sorry, the Lakers got some key defensive stops where they were able to get turnovers 
Austin Reeves was able to leak out front. Uh, there was one play where he leaked out, and Anthony Davis heaved the ball over his head for an easy layup to Austin Reeves. But there were several plays like that where Reeves knows when to cherry pick on the other end. So the Lakers really clearly have some talent. Despite the fact that Gabe Vincent hasn't really made it to the floor this season, but this is not a real nine-seed team. This is a team that has more talent than that. And it'll be interesting to see where you contrast them against the other team that's in a similar boat to them, a team with championship pedigree and experience, the Golden State Warriors, who are in basically the same seeding position. These two teams are only separated by half a game. The Lakers have the edge right now. They're in the 9 seed. The Warriors are in the 10 seed. And now we find out that Andrew Wiggins is going to be missing extended time again. And this is something that happened to, for him with him in the past where you just couldn't rely on him to play and nobody knows why. It's personal reasons. And personal reasons feels like the thing that you say where you don't want to say exactly why the player isn't playing. And for Andrew Wiggins... This is the second time that he's doing this, at least. I don't know if he did it before when he was on the Warrior, when he was on the Timberwolves ever, but this is the second time he's doing this on the Warriors, and it's at times when they really need him. The Warriors and being able to win championships in this version of the team, it's predicated on Andrew Wiggins being on the court. And the last time the Warriors won the championship was where Wiggins by the time they won the title, was playing like the second-best warrior on the court. And in terms of offense and defense, perhaps he was really, in, in terms of what he did on both ends, number one. Of course, he's never number one. Curry is is everything for this team. And the way he's defended, the way Curry is defended, impacts everybody else getting shots and the ball movement and everything. But all around, offense and defense, Wiggins was right there at the top. Number one on the defensive end, number two by the time they won the series against Boston on the offensive end. The Warriors can't make it without him. I understand that Moody has been playing better. He's been showing a little bit more of getting back to his normal self. He's very, very young, and he definitely has some ability. But when you hear, as a Warriors fan, that Andrew Wiggins isn't going to be with the team for personal reasons, yeah, he'll be coming back at some point. This is another start and stop. Wiggins going out of the lineup. Later, he's going to come back in for the playoff or the play-in or whatever it is. And the Warriors are just playing with fire. Do they see that they're in the 10 seed right now and they're not going to go down to the 11 seed? Because they're four games up on the Jazz. And the Jazz really have nothing to play for. The Jazz may continue to drop games down the stretch. So do the Warriors see that they're four games firmly in the 10th seed? And it doesn't really matter if Wiggins plays. So whatever issue Wiggins is going through, just maybe allow him to sit out, allow him to keep his health, allow him to get back on the court when he's actually needed, which is going to be in that play-in game, bring him back maybe a few games before the end of the season. Is that what the Warriors are thinking? Perhaps, but you'd really like to see the Warriors, where they've been very good recently. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 you would really want them to continue on this hot streak and try to get in front of the Lakers and then in front of the Kings or any other teams that are going to drop and try not to have to win back-to-back play-in games just to get into a playoff series. You'd really like the Warriors to move up at least to eight. But 
Will they be able to do that without Wiggins? That's tough. That's really tough. Let's look ahead at the Warriors' schedule. It's not a particularly easy one. They're going to go against the Knicks tonight in Madison Square Garden. And no matter who's on the court for the Knicks, whether Brunson is there, whether he's not, whether Hartenstein is there, whether he's not, it's going to be a tough game because even the Knicks' second unit, like we've discussed at nauseum, brings it on a nightly basis. Dante brings it. Josh Hart brings it. Precious Ochoa is going to bring it. All these guys for the Knicks are going to bring it. This Knicks team is predicated on defense and effort and team basketball. So the Knicks are going to be a tough out any time, especially if you're playing without Andrew Wiggins. And then the Warriors are going to go play the Raptors, which is not a gimme, but certainly a game that you would expect the Warriors to win. Then the Warriors are going to go have to play the Celtics in Boston, which is a death sentence virtually. Then they're going to have to face the Milwaukee Bucks at home. Then they'll take on the Chicago Bulls, the Spurs, and then the Spurs again. So they're going to get a little bit of a break in the schedule when they face the Bulls and then back-to-back games against the Spurs, one at home and then one on the road. So that will be really good. Those are three games the Warriors can definitely win. But now the Warriors are going to have to try to beat the Knicks and then the Raptors, and then they'll have the Celtics and the Bucks. So I would say two medium-difficulty games followed by two high-difficulty games against the Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks, and then three easy games against the Bulls, the Spurs, and the Spurs, and particularly those two games against the Spurs, very easy. So out of the next seven games, I would say that four of them are extremely winnable, or maybe five of them extremely winnable, and two of them pretty tough. So you would like to think that the Warriors can go 4-3 and three, or at least, or maybe even 5-2 and two over the next seven games, but now without Andrew Wiggins, that's just going to become a whole lot tougher than it was. So a, a real nasty blow for the Warriors, and you have to start thinking if the Warriors start losing a couple of games here, maybe the Warriors are just settled down in the 10 seed and they're going to try and win back-to-back play-in games just to get into the playoffs, and they've just become resigned to that fact. We also had, in last night's NBA action, a lot of settling in back into the way things seemed to be going. So you had the Cavaliers, who seemed to be trending down, and then that got temporarily put on pause when Max Struess hit that buzzer beater, going on fire, achieving... (laughs) Unseen heights for Max Struess. I know he's a streaky guy, but that was the the pinnacle of anything he's done in the NBA for sure. Granted, he's played in, in finals games, but that performance the other night against Dallas was just otherworldly. And then you have the Mavericks, conversely, on the receiving end of that buzzer beater from beyond half court, and the Mavericks were doing really well. And then that seemed to kind of shift the Mavericks and the mentality around them and moved them down to the eighth seed in the Western Conference. So you had the Cavaliers going seemingly downhill, but Struess saved them, and you had the Mavericks going seemingly uphill, but Struess denied them from moving up further. But now everything seems to have settled back into the way that they were trending because you have the Mavericks and Luka taking over down the stretch. They handle business against the Toronto Raptors like we thought they would. Because they've been playing, the Mavericks have been playing consistently very well over the last stretch, even going back three or four games before the trade deadline and the All Star break. So the Mavericks have been playing consistently good basketball. They're getting 
healthier and healthier. They even brought Dante Exum back in this game, and he showed exactly you know good minutes, good defense, a couple of points, a couple of rebounds, assists. He did what he what he had to do in his first game back. So the Mavericks continue to get healthier. They continue to play well, and they get the victory. So suddenly the Mavericks are right back on track to where they were. The Mavericks are in the seven seed, and they're only a half a game back from the five seed and the six seed, the Suns and the Pelicans. So the Mavericks just settle themselves. Okay, we got beat by a heroic three-quarter court buzzer beater. Let's just keep playing basketball the right way. Let's keep playing the correct brand, and we'll get right back there. And we can move out of the seven, and we can get up to the five or the six. So the Raptors losing, the Mavericks winning, and the Mavericks settling back into the good basketball that they were playing up until that Cleveland heartbreaker. Then you have the Pacers beating the Pelicans, right? The Pacers, <clears throat> the Pacers able to do well against the Pelicans down the stretch because what I see when I watch the Pelicans is... Every player on New Orleans wants to do it themselves. They have some talent on the team. As exemplified by the fact that they're still in the playoff mix, they do have talent. They have Brendan Ingram. They have Zion and McCollum. They have Herb Jones. They, they have pieces. When Elvarado's healthy, he comes off the bench and gives them a spark. They have talent. But there are a couple of negative factors against them. The first one that the Pelicans heading into last night were 0 and 14 on games heading into the fourth quarter when they're trailing. So in any game that the Pelicans were losing, going into the fourth quarter the entire season, they haven't won. And that continued last night. Now they're 0 and 15 when they're trailing entering the fourth quarter. So that tells you that they don't come back when they're down. They are a purely front runner type of team. Sometimes you have teams like this in other sports. In the NFL, there are teams like, uh, for the, like the Cowboys, for instance, where they're famous for this in the, these Dak Prescott seasons where they can blow you out, but in games that are close or games where they're losing, they have a lot of struggles trying to come back when they don't have the lead from the beginning. The Ravens were sort of like this on some of those Lamar Jackson teams. But getting back to basketball, the sport that we love, the Pelicans are sort of that front-runner type team. They can win games when they're up, but they've shown in the 15 games that they were losing going into the fourth quarter this year, they've lost every single one. And that's a bit of a mind-boggling statistic. How can you be in the playoff mix when you don't win any games coming from behind? And I'm sure that some of those games entering the fourth quarter were still close games. The fact that they've lost every single one of them is extremely perturbing. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense how you can be a team in the five or six seed and not win a single game that you've been trailing entering the fourth quarter of the entire year. Oh, and 15. That's a massive sample size right there. 15 games lose every single one. That tells me something is wrong. Then you have Brandon Ingram, and he's a talented player. He's very good, but he tries to do everything himself. So you have a play in the fourth quarter where Brandon Ingram drives into the basket, gets a layup pretty nicely. He gets a rebound on, on the other end off of a missed shot, and then he tries to dribble it and go coast to coast. So what you have is him scoring, him getting the rebound, 
and then him dribbling the ball, trying to go coast to coast and missing. It's not that common to see a guy dribbling the ball coast to coast. It's much more common to see when you rebound the ball, you get an outlet pass, you heave the ball down court, you dribble it up, and then you pass it to someone else cutting. These are all more common plays than getting the rebound under your basket and dribbling it under the other basket and scoring a layup. Because the quickest way to move the ball down court is passing, not dribbling. So if you watch the Pelicans, you see many examples of this. You see it from Zion. You see it from McCollum. You see it from really all of the guys on New Orleans where they dribble, they dribble. They try to create a shot for themselves. When they run into a crowd, they pass the ball off. When they realize, okay, this it's done. I had my opportunity. I didn't get it. Now I'm going to pass the ball off. And then the next guy tries to create a shot for himself. But it's not that team brand of basketball. And that's why it's so hard for them to come back in games where they're losing. Because you come back in games not by dribble, 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 create a shot for yourself, miss a tough contested two-pointer. You come back in games by bolt with ball movement, quick, precise passing, getting open threes, getting high-quality looks, getting layups and dunks at the basket, playing good defense. You're, you need to play team defense on one end, team offense on the other, and that's how you get high-quality looks, unlike the way the Pelicans play. So it makes a lot of sense when you watch them. The eye test really matches up to the product that you get on the court where they consistently lose games that they are losing entering the fourth quarter. So that's what you have with the Pelicans. Pelicans um, now still in the 5-6, and six, tied with the Phoenix Suns, and the Mavericks and the Kings on their heels. Then you have the Cavaliers losing to the Chicago Bulls in double overtime, right? And what you had here was Donovan Mitchell playing pretty well. You have... Darius Garland trying, he looks shifty, he tries to get into the lane, he gets blocked. He was not doing as well as Mitchell was. And Struess didn't quite get up as many shots as he did in the previous game. I think I believe he was one of six from three. Didn't take that many shots overall, didn't have a great game. He did hit a three when they really needed him to in overtime to try and bring them back in that double OT, but it was really too late at that point. The Cavaliers blew it. They were up big. They were up double digits in the fourth quarter. They blew the lead. Game goes into overtime. They're up, th they're up by three. At the end of overtime, the Chicago Bulls inbound the ball to DeMar DeRozan, and Jarrett Allen gets called for a foul on a three-point shot from DeRozan. You can't foul on the three-point shot. If he hits it, he hits it, and then you still had 13 seconds left to go get a basket on the other end and win the game, but you can't foul on a three-pointer. When you're up by three, if you foul on a three and he hits the three, now all of a sudden he's going to the line for a four-point play, and next thing you know, you're losing with 13 seconds instead of tied or winning. you got to play smarter defense than that. You know that he's going to try to get fouled on a three-point attempt or get a good three-point attempt. You can't foul him there. And it was a clear foul from Jared Allen. Maybe DeRozan leaned in, a smidge, maybe he embellished a little bit, which you'd have to expect because he needed the call, but that was a clear, clear foul from Jared Allen, so the Cavaliers blow the lead in the fourth quarter. Then, 
they blow the lead in, in the first overtime, and then eventually they lose in the second overtime. And for Cleveland, in addition to playing poorly down the stretch of the fourth quarter, in addition to the boneheaded decision-making, the, the coach, you would have to think, was educating them not to foul on a three at the end of overtime, but uh, definitely a terrible decision from Jared Allen playing a bit too close up on DeRozan and going for the shot fake. So, or going for the shot. DeRozan immediately caught the ball and just went up with it, and, and Allen was all over him. So a pretty easy sell job by DeRozan where, where Allen was like a blanket on him. So a, a poor decision there. And where does all of this really stem from? It stems from the fact that two kings can't wear one crown. You have Donovan Mitchell. You have Darius Garland. And let me tell you what each of them are thinking. And you know that this is true. Mitchell's thinking, well, the team was doing fine when I was the only man in charge. I dragged us to the two seed in the Eastern Conference. This is better than we've done since LeBron was on this Cleveland team. This is the best Cleveland we've seen in forever. Things were fine when I was in charge. And then on the other side, you have Darius Garland thinking, I got to show that I'm still the man. I got to show that I'm still the man on this team. I can't just be a, a backup to Donovan Mitchell. And where you have other great teams, where you have tandems like in Phoenix, where you have Booker and you have Durant, they play different positions. They're both semi-ball dominant, but they play different positions. When you had LeBron teaming up with Wade and Bosh, they all played different positions. You have Damian Lillard and Giannis, and they've had a lot of struggles this season, but they play different positions so you can see it working. Here, it's really two kings trying to wear one crown because they play the exact same position. Garland and Mitchell are one and the same in terms of the way they play, with Mitchell showing this year that he's been a lot better than Garland. You can tell that by the record in games where Mitchell has been able to play without Garland. And when you watch them and you watch who comes up big more often than not, it's typically Mitchell. Whereas you can turn Garland into something else, turn him into a piece that would complement Mitchell, and you could be better suited to really make a run versus the current constitution where two kings are trying to share one crown. For the other games that we had last night, the Timberwolves continue to take advantage of the easy schedule, beating the Grizzlies again. They beat them twice recently. The Timberwolves and, and the Oklahoma City Thunder have really been the benefactors of the easier schedules recently. I believe the teams with the easiest schedules have been the Timberwolves, the Thunder, and the Pelicans. And now that the Pelicans' schedule has started to get a bit tougher they're starting to lose games, and they're starting to drop in the standings. The Timberwolves and Thunder have been the benefactors of many, many, many easy games recently, and that's really helping contribute to keeping them at the top of the standings. The Timberwolves still in one by a half a game, and the Thunder in two. And then you have the Nuggets and the Clippers coming up behind them uh, a couple of games back. 
the Clipper, the Nuggets first, and then the Clippers in four. So Timberwolves do what they have to do on their home court. The Nuggets beat the Kings. The Kings have continued to just be extremely inconsistent. Now they've dropped back-to-back games. And the Denver Nuggets, although they really don't need these victories, and the Sacramento Kings really need them (laughs) a a lot if they don't want to play in play-in games, which it seems like they're going to have to do unless something changes and they go on a win streak very quickly. But the Denver Nuggets don't really need to win games. They're okay at the three seed. They're okay if they go into the four. They'd really be okay if they went into the five seed. It doesn't really matter for them. But they've won four games in a row. They're now 40-19, and 19, a very good record for the Denver Nuggets. They just continue to get stronger and stronger. So at the top of the Western Conference, you have the Timberwolves, who've won three in a row against lesser opposition. You have the Thunder, who've won six in a row, largely against lesser opposition. And then you have the Nuggets, who've won four in a row against pretty good opposition. So the Denver Nuggets getting stronger and stronger, and things seem to be lining up perfectly for the Denver Nuggets and perfectly for the Boston Celtics as we anticipate the eventual Nuggets-Celtics NBA championship in a couple of months. Then, of course, we already discussed the Lakers beating the Clippers in that great heroic comeback victory from LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers in a game that you can call an away game but was really more like a home game with LeBron in Los Angeles. Coming up on the docket tonight, we have eight games of NBA basketball on a Thursday, starting off with Milwaukee going to face the Charlotte Hornets. The Bucks just destroyed the Hornets in the previous matchup, so look for the Bucks to do the same dismantling of Charlotte as Charlotte has been averaging under 90 points over the last three games. This is a layup for the Milwaukee Bucks. They'll win this game easily in Charlotte tonight. You have the Jazz going against the Magic. The Jazz have nothing to play for. The Magic continue to bring the intensity, and they continue to play above 500 basketball like they've done the entire season. So the Magic should be able to get another victory. They're currently sitting in the 8th seed in the Eastern Conference, so look for the Magic to get this win and move back into a tie with the Indiana Pacers for that 7-8 and seed. So the Magic should get it done tonight against Utah. The Hawks are going to play the Nets in a game which really doesn't matter. I know that the Hawks and the Nets are back-to-back in the standings. So if the Nets were to beat the Hawks, they would only be three games back from a play-in position, which the Hawks are currently occupying. So you would think, yeah, the the Nets should try to win this game. But either way, there's still going to be a three-game cushion for the Hawks. The Hawks should be able to get that 10 seed. So a little bit of intrigue there just because these two teams are so close in the in the seeding. And the difference between the two of them is one of them is going to get in the play-in and one of them is not going to be in any play-in and they're going to be eliminated before any playoff basketball. So there are some stakes there. So let's see what happens in the Hawks versus Nets game. If the Hawks win this one, that's basically a wrap. The Hawks will be the 10 seed, the Nets will be the 11, and the Hawks will get a play-in spot and the Nets will not. Then you have the Warriors without Andrew Wiggins now. You're going to be seeing more Moses Moody, and they're going to go face the tough, tough Knicks. The Knicks have been shorthanded for a while, but they're getting healthier. You may see Brunson back in this game. You may see Hartenstein back in this game. So this should be a good one between the Warriors and the Knicks. Steph likes playing at MSG. 
Clay likes being in New York. Let's see what happens. Warriors versus Knicks in what should be a great showdown between those two. The Thunder will continue their very easy schedule. They will be facing off against the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio tonight. So look for the Thunder to do what they do, stay extremely consistent, and get another victory. And when they win this game, they will move back into a tie for the one seed with the Minnesota Timberwolves atop the Western Conference. Thunder should be able to handle business. Then you have the Suns at home where they play very, very well. The Suns' record at home is far better than the record on the road. At home, they are 19-11. and 11. So they win two-thirds of their games at home, and they are only 15 and 13. They only win about 50% of their games, or just over that, on the road. So the Suns are going to be at home against the Houston Rockets, who are struggling greatly right now. Suns are getting them at the right time. The Rockets have nothing to play for, and the Suns are going to be playing them not just tonight, but also in a couple of nights from now, again on their home court. So the Suns should be able to win tonight and the next one. These are two virtually guaranteed victories for Phoenix. And that should do wonders with Phoenix staying in that five seed and not dropping to the six or the seven. These, this is great, great timing for the Suns playing the Houston Rockets back-to-back -back on their home court where they are very tough to beat. Then you have the Miami Heat, who are hot, going against the Denver Nuggets, who are hot as well. The Heat have won five in a row with lineups that haven't really consisted of their best players. You haven't seen Tyler Hero. You haven't seen Jimmy Butler very much. But the Heat are 8-2 in their last 10. They've won five straight. And this should be a good one tonight against the Denver Nuggets. The Heat made it to the finals last season. And if the Heat can do that again, this season there would be a good chance that they would be facing the Denver Nuggets on the other side. So perhaps a bit of a long-shot candidate Miami Heat versus Denver Nuggets championship preview tonight. What do we think will happen in this game? Well, the game is in Denver. So you'd have to give advantage Denver, plus Denver's been the better team on the season. So you'd have to give it to Denver. Denver's also been more consistent, and they've been playing more consistently the same players in lineups, whereas now the Miami Heat are bringing Jimmy Butler back, and they're, they've had more shuffling in and out of the lineup. So all the advantages are really pointing to the Nuggets, but when the Heat play their best, it'll be a good game. So let's see. The Nuggets really don't need the victory, but they've won four in a row. So they're clearly trying to win these games, and they're heating up at the right time. So this is a really good confluence of winning streaks between the Heat and the Nuggets with nine straight combined victories between the two of them. And this should be a featured game tonight, considering how many games are not really that great. More of a of a A-side and a B-side in most of these matchups. The only really good games are... The Warriors versus the Knicks at MSG. The Heat against the Nuggets in Denver. And then the final game of the night is not a good matchup. It's the Wizards going on to take the Lakers, where the Lakers are very strong in their building. They're 22, sorry, they're 20 and 9 at home. And then last night's game, where they were still playing in Los Angeles, is really a not like, a, like another home game for them. So the Lakers are very good at home, and they're getting to play the Washington Wizards, where the Wizards have nothing to play for, and they are the garbage heap of the NBA. So you should see the Lakers be able to beat the Wizards pretty easily, especially off the high that they're on from last game. So we should see the Lakers be able to get that win. So in most of these games, you're seeing an A-side. Bucks against the Hornets, Magic against the Jazz, 
Suns against the Rockets, Thunders, Thunder against the Spurs, Lakers against the Wizards, where all of those have a clear A side and a clear B side. But the games to really focus on tonight are the Warriors. They need a win. They're playing without Wiggins now, so that should make it tougher going against the Knicks at MSG and the Miami Heat with the five-game win streak going on to take the Nuggets and their four-game win streak in Denver tonight. You can follow us on social NBAV and NBA Avenue. You can get our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube as well. So we're everywhere. We're on the other major platforms, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh, Google Music. We are all over the place. We are your source for a great time every time. And until next time, we are out.